We all need spooky names for the spooky episode of the podcast. What's yours? Spooktacular Sean. That's exactly what I was like. This is what he's going to say. <laughs> I was like, he's not going to go spooky. It's going to be spooktacular. Rob, what's your spooky name? Retching Rob. Yeah. You have to put a W in front of the Rob. I like it. Rotten Rob. Rotisserie Rob. Roll, Roly Poly Rob. That's just mean. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,772 movies on Disney+. My name is Spooktacular Sean, and I am here with my co-hosts Boogie Bob and Wretched Rob. I'm not going by Rotten Robert. I like Wretched Rob better. Uh, why did you even make me do it then, Sean? We spent five minutes before the start of this episode trying to come up with a name, and then I refused to use it. So, Rob, tell me how you're doing, Rob, on this spooky, spooky oh, day. Oh, right. It's Halloween. Uh, doing pretty, pretty good. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. I got nothing. Bobby, tell me how you're doing. Quickly, let's get the paint. Let's save the episode. It's already gone off the rails after <laughs> Wretched Rob has given us zero energy. Well, I cannot speak fast due to the quality of my voice this week, so I'll just very slowly and calmly state that I am doing just fine. So you're a little sick, Bob. Is that is that the case? You sound a little sick. I am a little sick, as if I'm going through some sort of transformation, as if people have maybe forgotten about me. My theory is that you're sick because we don't have enough five-star reviews. We do have more than last time, though. So maybe this will make you feel better, Bob. My ears are open. Headline, this is the review for the show. <laughs> Body text, first off... I love this show. It's like sitting with your best friends and having a good laugh about the movie you just watched. It's the only podcast I'm all caught up on, and I look forward to it every week. The banter is top tier, the intros are hilarious, and that sweet theme song. <laughs> I can't say enough good things about this show. These are definitely the bears that I was expecting. <laughs> Thank you, and good night. And that was from Zach208. So Zach208, thank you very much for that wonderful review. If we had more of them, Bobby might actually stop being sick. I decline worse and worse. Please, people. First it was Sean, and now it's caught up to me. Uh, I'll be next, for sure. All right, well, in keeping with Bobby's spooky, spooky voice, we have a very terrifying movie to talk about today. You know, there are some movies that are so famous for just instilling fear upon their audience. When The Exorcist came out in 1973, <laughs> 
News stories claim that people would faint and run screaming out of the theater. When the Blair Witch Project debuted at Sundance, there were stories about people vomiting in the theater. When Saw 3 premiered, people passed out. Going all the way back to Freaks in 1932, there are stories of women suffering miscarriages in the screenings of Freaks. And there is one more film to add to this infamous list of terrifying wonders of the world. Don't Look Under the Bed, 1999's <laughs> Disney Channel original. The scariest film ever made for the Disney Channel. So scary, in fact, that it was banned. You can only see it on Disney Plus that 200 million people in the world have. But other than that, there's no way to see it. It's banned. Rob, this was your choice. Why did you choose this? I was looking for a, a scary movie to, for our Halloween theme. I'd like done some Googling and I saw a list of like Disney Channel Halloween originals. And this was one that said exactly what you said. And I was like, oh, that might be an interesting one. I had never seen this before, never heard of it before, but I was like, if this is a, a scary enough to be pulled off the Disney Channel, you know, maybe it's a worth our watch. Uh, spoiler alert, yeah, maybe. I'm still, I'm still torn. I don't know. We'll you, get to oh, it. You think it was scary enough to be banned? Off the Disney Channel? I think so. Yeah. Okay. This film was written by Mark Edward. Mark Edward Edens. And it was directed by Kenneth Johnson, the creator of The Six Million Dollar Man. Really? Kenneth Johnson, the creator of The Bionic Woman. Kenneth Johnson, the showrunner of The Incredible Hulk from 1978. <laughs> Kenneth Johnson, the creator of the original television series V and Alien Nation. Really? Kenneth Johnson, the director of Short Circuit 2. Oh, man. <laughs> and, most importantly, the writer and director of Shaquille O'Neal's Steel. <laughs> Kenneth Johnson has, has played All in right. both the Marvel and the DC comic universes, so... <laughs> This guy can do it all. Did you look into Mark Edward Eden's credits as to what he's credited to work on? No. Tell me about Mark Edward Eden. So he's actually – he worked on pretty much almost any and every cartoon we would have watched as a kid. He wrote, uh, I think, 10 or so episodes of The Real Ghostbusters. He wrote uh, a few different years on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, a couple lesser-known shows. But the one that jumped out to me on IMDb is he's credited as series developed by and creator for the 90s X-Men. Oh, Seriously? Kenneth Johnson, as I said, created The Six Million Dollar Man, which was based on a book called Cyborg by Martin Caden. He then created The Bionic Woman as a spinoff of The Six Million Dollar Man. And that spinoff was predicated on the idea of, well, what if we do it again, but this time it's a woman. However... Because when they licensed the book, they licensed the rights to create spinoffs of The Six Million Dollar Man. The creator of Cyborg never got any royalties or had any legal interest in The Bionic Woman. It basically was entirely belonged to Kenneth Johnson as creator and CBS, I believe, as the uh, studio that developed it. We got a Fear the Walking Dead situation here? <laughs> a little bit. But what happened with that was that when Kenneth Johnson developed the Incredible Hulk television series, someone told Stan Lee this story, and he went, holy shit, he's going to make a She-Hulk. <laughs> and if he makes a She-Hulk, he will own the rights to a She-Hulk, because that's what he did to Six Million Dollar Man. And so he immediately produced a comic called She-Hulk, really? so that Marvel would retain the rights 
to She-Hulk. And that is why we have She-Hulk today. That's amazing. So we have Kenneth Johnson, who is responsible for Don't Look Under the Bed and She-Hulk. Wow. In a roundabout way. Well, considering they just just recently finished up the She-Hulk TV show, this is very timely. Two other credits attached to Disney. He directed the Disney Channel movie Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, but he also has a story credit for D3, The Mighty Ducks. I saw that too. He really? doesn't have a screenplay credit. He has a story credit. And although I didn't... Just for the third one? Just for the third one. I didn't easily come across a background or story to explain that. But the most obvious explanation is that he was attached to direct. He wrote a screenplay and then left the project. The screenplay was rewritten, but he retained a story credit. We almost had a Kenneth Johnson D3. But instead, we are Kenneth Johnson's Don't Look Under the Bed, the scariest movie that you've never seen. So I just uh, I just opened up my uh, my notes app on my phone. That's where I read all my notes for this. Uh, and I've watched this movie in chunks um, a couple of times over the course of today. Um, and my first note was Francis Bacon. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's that again? And so I just Googled it because <laughs> I forgot what that was. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of Googling you have to do. Somebody, whether it was the writer or whether it was Kenneth Johnson, they had their English 101 textbook open in front of them. Yeah. So let's talk about the characters. So the lead character is named Francis Bacon McCausland, played by the actress Erin Chambers. Her brother is Darwin McCausland, and her older brother is named Bert McCausland which is short for Albert McCausland, and I'm going to assume that he's named after Albert Einstein. Yeah. Because all three of the children are named after the great scientific minds of history. We also have Ty Hodges playing Larry Houdini, who is an imaginary friend, Robin Riker playing the mother, Karen McCausland, and my very, very favorite actor, Stephen Tobolowsky <laughs> playing the father, Michael McCausland. Okay, so I, I want to go on a little bit of a sidebar about Stephen Tobolowsky. Um, <laughs> Please do. Unless it's bad. I don't want to hear anything no. bad if you were like, I found a horrible story about him. No, okay. He, everything I've read, he's like kind of an amazing person. I got to kind of reading some of his past credits and other things he'd worked on. I mean, as you said, he's known as Ned Ryerson. He's in pretty much everything. I basically think we've established at this point, he is the unofficial mascot of our podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm happy to change the cover of our podcast. So it's just a picture of Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> We're, are we changing the format of this? It's just watch every Stephen Tobolowsky <laughs> It's just film. a Stephen Tobolowsky <laughs> fan cast. <laughs> we'd start the next episode and we'd be like, welcome to episode one of 1778, <laughs> where we discuss everything Stephen Tobolowsky's ever been in, because he's probably been in that many things. Okay, so something I looked into, which I thought was interesting, was that Stephen Tobolowsky uh, has a writing credit on David Byrne of the Talking Heads movie True Stories, because he got introduced to him at some point and helped him write an outline or a screenplay, which Stephen Tobolowsky says as the movie went on like there were bits and pieces of it but David Byrne kind of did his own thing during the process of making true stories with him and writing on it Stephen Tobolowski talked about an experience in his life or some experiences he'd had in his life and based on those experiences David Byrne wrote a song about Stephen Tobolowski which is in the movie that song is Talking Head song Radiohead wow the band Radiohead <laughs> named themselves after <laughs> the Talking Head song oh my Radiohead God. So without Stephen Tobolowski, you oh do not get God. Radiohead. They would still be performing under the moniker of On a Friday. So wait, the band Radiohead is named after Stephen Tobolowski yes. indirectly? Yes. yes. That's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. That's amazing. If I had to pick one person that, that captures <laughs> Radiohead's essence, 
It would be Stephen Tobolowski. You can find an interview with Stephen Tobolowski on David Byrne's website talking about the experience of writing the film and it mentioning the song Radiohead. And then the name confirmation is made when David Byrne inducted Radiohead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame about that they named themselves after the song. That's amazing. You want to hear another review I got for you? I do. Is it of us? No, this one's not of us. This is a podcast called Scary Stories and Rain. Describes itself as providing scary stories (laughs) and ambient rain sounds. (laughs) Okay. Are they overlapped over each other or is it just like, now it's time for scary story number two. So this is a review from RainLover469. Okay. Headline. Good. Body text. I like rain. (laughs) Five stars. (laughs) So we uh, don't have any ambient rain sounds, <laughs> Rain Lover 469, but for this particular episode, we do have a very scary story about Don't Look Under the Bed. How does this movie start, Bobby? I believe it's shots of feet, it's shots of the night and some spooky noises and some evil laughter, <laughs> as a boogeyman, or could be a boogeyman, you don't know what it is, but it's a boogeyman. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's a boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> Pranking what at first seems to be the household of our heroine, Francis Bacon. So we open with some narration. Francis Bacon is describing her life, and she says that she lives in Middleburg, a very middle-ish city in the middle of the country. (laughs) And already we have an untrustworthy narrator, because Middleburg is clearly in Utah. (laughs) Yeah. Because they are surrounded by the Rocky Mountains. So I'm not really sure that's in the middle of the country. She says that in her dreams, the city seems somewhat different. And then we get shots that intercut between her sleeping and her eyes flickering and her closed eyelids like she's in REM sleep. And shots of some sort of a shape flying through the city. What is going on here? Like, is she astro projecting into the boogeyman? Like, what is this scene? Because she says in her dreams, the city looks different. And then we see shots of her flying around the city with evil laughter. I mean, I have a theory right now. What's the theory? But it's going to ruin the twist ending. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. Listeners, um, uh, (laughs) take your headphones off now. Don't listen to this. Stop. If you haven't seen the movie, don't go watch this. Do anything else. Then come back and listen to this podcast. I I just could because it's her old imaginary friend. So she's like, you know. So she she has like a psychic connection. Yeah. Later on, as you learn, it's I I, you were like, okay, it's because they're connected that this is why she's seeing what she's seeing. And whatever this entity is. We'll say entity now, so people can put their headphones back on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so for people who have taken your headphones off and you yeah. can't hear what we're saying now, we're done. We're done with the spoilers. Put the headphones back on. <laughs> put a, put a, put a timestamp in the uh, in the. the Do you know how much time that takes? I'm not putting a timestamp anywhere, man. <laughs> this is the only episode we don't want to spoil. <laughs> don't look under the bed. <laughs> I, would, I would say Rob is on the right track with saying that whatever this entity is, they obviously have a connection because this evil entity um, seems hell bent on pranking people because he's oh so naughty um and making sure that young francis is on the hook for the blame while she's sleeping all of the clocks in the city get turned ahead three hours um 
That includes every clock in their house, it includes the clock on the clock tower, it includes the clocks inside everyone else's house. And they are awoken by their alarms, and they come downstairs in the middle of the night. The whole family is quite surprised that it's still so dark out when it's supposed to be 7.20 in the morning. And Stephen Tobolowsky says, well, I set all of our clocks to the Naval Observatory, so I'm just going to go double check right now that our clocks are correct. Uh, on the internet. Which he goes to a lot. I like how Stephen Tobolowsky's like the only one in town who's heard of the internet. <laughs> His two character traits are, I like to check the internet... And I like to clean the house, apparently. That's that's his only character. But they commit to those traits, and then they comment on them a lot. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, no, I get it, I get it. <laughs> he's a he's a tech-savvy dad. Well, somebody's reading the script, and they're like, okay, this guy, he's on the internet all the time. He's constantly cleaning. Stephen Tobolowski. We've got to get Stephen Tobolowski. <laughs> if not him, then Tom York. Something connected to Radiohead. <laughs> no one else but Stephen Tobolowski could have pulled this role off, made it entertaining. It's such a thankless, like, dumb role, but while he's in it, you're just like, yeah, I'm kind of captivated by you. I mean, this shouldn't be a surprise, but I think he's fantastic in this movie. <laughs> he's really good. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's fantastic. I love it. He's fantastic. SAG overlooked him, I have to say. <laughs> For what? He's like probably fifth or sixth on the call sheet. I think he doesn't he get an and credit? He gets an and credit. He gets an and credit. Like it's a supporting role, but you know, uh, it's it's like Anthony Hopkins in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Like this is <laughs> he captures the movie in only a few scenes. I'm just gonna say it now. So that we don't need to get into the details when it comes up. Other than Stephen Tobolowsky, the acting in this is pretty rough. Yeah. But these are kids. It's a made-for-TV kids it's movie a made from the for 90s. It's a made-for-the-Disney Channel kids movie. I did make one note about the acting, and that's when... I didn't write his name down, but Larry Houdini. Yeah, Ty? Ty. When he is starting to become menacing... Those little bits I thought were actually really well done. He's an interesting guy. I don't know a lot of his work, but I looked yeah. at his bio. He he had a supporting role on the Even Stevens show, and so he briefly appeared in that Even Stevens movie. He did for like a he was in one scene, I think. Well, and, and he plays a character named Larry. Oh no! So the, the, these movies exist in the same universe. <laughs> <laughs> he's Shia LaBeouf's imaginary friend. Yeah, I thought he was good. I thought he was good when he was doing that. Like he has to play. He's basically doing Pee Wee Herman, Drop Dead Fred stuff. I feel like they handed him a role, but they were like, be Jim Carrey. Yeah. 100%. There's a reason Jim Carrey is Jim Carrey. You can't just go up to a 15-year-old kid and say, be Jim Carrey, and expect them to carry a movie. Uh -huh. It's an insane ask, and they shouldn't have done it. When did Drop Dead Fred come out? That was early 90s, right? Uh, Drop Dead Fred is 1991. Right, yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that in there, too. I actually, my, my exact note, I would say to sum up the note of this movie, is it is Drop Dead Fred mixed with A Nightmare on Elm Street. With a little, a little teeny tiny bit of Howie Mandel's Little Monsters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have Howie Mandel's Little Monsters in here. I don't know. I thought this was like an extended episode of like, uh, don't be afraid of, no, this is don't look. Uh, Are you afraid it? of the dark? Are you afraid of the dark? Or Goosebumps. I thought about that too, for sure. This is like right at the height of like both of those shows. Yeah. And as someone who's been like periodically rewatching a lot of um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's exactly what this feels like. Right. Now, here's the thing. I haven't seen Are You Afraid of the Dark since I was eight years old or 10 years old, whenever it was on YTV and I saw that. Uh, some of those were terrifying to me. In hindsight, if I watched it now, maybe they're not. Yeah. But I feel like this 
could not possibly be scarier than some of those episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, sure, right? But the show is called Are You Afraid of the Dark, and it's be- meant to be a scary show. This is meant to be a scary movie. It's called Don't Look Under the Bed. It was banned. Right, but it's on the Disney Channel where there's like four-year-olds watching this. That's what this is. Disney Channel is broader than aimed at four-year-olds. No, like, no, I know. I think in the last 20 years, they've actually broadened into three different channels. There's Disney Junior, Disney Channel, and Disney XD. And they target different demographics. Disney Junior is definitely targeting four-year-olds. Disney Channel is like six to 10-year-old girls. And then Disney XD is like eight to 14-year-old boys. And that's the different demographics that they're targeting. Sure. But- I think even back when it were all amalgamated into a single channel, it wasn't just four-year-olds. No. Like, they were targeting 12-year-olds. That's what I'm mm-hmm, trying to say, sure. is that, like, it's the four-year-old parents that are calling in and complaining about this. It's because it's like, oh, it's the Disney Channel. I'll just put that on. And then their kid watches this, right? Like, that's what this is. They assume that it's totally safe, like it's Disney Junior. At the time, when the Disney Channel was still kind of newish, when this was coming out. Uh, Disney Channel have been around since like the mid '80s by this point. Yeah, but yeah. okay. Sorry. Uh, talking from the perspective of the person, as I said, who didn't have cable when we only saw the first uh, run of the Green Ranger, right? I didn't know anything about the Disney Channel. We couldn't have. Uh, you couldn't get it in Canada, I don't think, unless you attained pirated satellite really? signals, which my dad definitely didn't do. I think satellite signals you might have been able to get. Oh, okay. What what we had up in Canada that bridged that gap for all of us was when they extended. Uh, I think it was Shaw Cable's package. To add the family channel, uh, the family yeah. channel got distribution rights for a lot of those, like, Disney gotcha. Channel shows and Disney Channel movies. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. What I'm just trying to say is, like, I'm assuming it was a boatload of parents who just said, ah, it's the Disney Channel, and then they just sat their kid down in front of it. But, I mean, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark is on YTV and Goosebumps. Like, that's sure. that's the youth television channel. Yeah. That's yes. also the kids' channel. And it's just about when it airs. But, uh, presumably, Don't Look Under the Bed was a late night movie it would have aired at like no, no, no. 7 p.m or 8 p.m or i'm guessing this was a halloween release for the disney channel so i'm guessing it probably would have been a like saturday like evening premiere or something like that because like, i yeah. think what it, it got banned i think it was later like because it was it wasn't in syndication for very long they ran it annually for like three years yeah. i think and then it got removed from their annual halloween movie yeah a thon and so they just made another halloween town which is funny because I've, I've had a request to do Halloween Town 2. Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. We need to take a break from these Disney Channel movies. I'll get this out of the way right now. This is easily, if this was just a list of just the Disney Channel movies, like Landslide Victory number one. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that too. I was going to say that of the Disney Channel movies we watched, this is the best. Like This, is like, the, this is like the fucking Citizen Kane of Disney Channel movies. <laughs> There's so many Dutch angles in this movie. <laughs> I was I managed to make it through the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't mind finishing it. Yeah. Okay, so we've gotten a little off track but let's just go back to the beginning Which all is, of the what's new come on <laughs> for us on track i'm not sure there's going to be too much to talk about on this one anyway but uh all of the clocks have been moved forward Ooh. and everyone's dog is on the roof oh no uh, that's never addressed i mean it's hilarious but it's never addressed well the boogeyman puts everyone's dog on the roof yeah that's yeah, but- another prank yeah, but it's only like one person has like the dog, the teacher, the the pedophile teacher. Like uh, the dog jumps on pedophile him. Pedophile teacher. Oh my god! Wow, you're reading a lot into this. <laughs> the, the, she has like two lines to her teacher. It's real creepy. Well, what she says is creepy, not what he says. He okay. just says hi, Francis, and she says. That's my biology teacher. He really likes me. Yeah. Who knows what that means? But I don't think he says or does anything that. 
comes across as inappropriate. I was just going to say, I got from her that because she's like supposed to be more mature than she is, she's a straight A student, she gets good grades, that when she says that, it's because she's a good student. All right. Okay, so they wake up and there's all these pranks that have, that are occurring around town. That's the plot of the movie, okay? All the clocks have been turned up three hours. All the dogs around town have been put on people's roofs. And they don't have any more eggs. We'll get to that. I just loved her, the mom's delivery. It was so like uh, North Dakota. It was, oh, geez, we don't have any more eggs in the fridge. Oh, yeah. She has the thickest <laughs> accent. Well, she read the script. That's the funniest thing. She read the script and she's like, oh, it's in the middle of the country, probably a, a Minnesota accent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll work on that. And so she practices the accent for like <laughs> seven weeks. And then, no and one then else they fly it. her out to Utah. <laughs> She's the only one giving a Minnesota accent and they're shooting in the Rocky Mountains in like the western side of the country. That was one of those things that once I picked up on it, I couldn't unhear and it drove me fucking crazy throughout the whole movie. It was great. Her accent? Yeah. yeah. What is she? She's like a, she's a professor too. She's like an anthropology. Yeah, she's an anthropology professor. Yeah. Which, like, they're both professors. Yeah, no, um, he's a engineer of waste management. He has a PhD in solid waste management. Solid waste management. And Stephen Tobolowski <laughs> gives it with the straightest deadpan. He's asked what his job is, and he says, I have a PhD in solid waste management. And then he looks at you as if he's daring you to laugh. He's like, I dare you. I motherfucking dare you. Like he's Samuel L. Jackson being like, <laughs> say what again? <laughs> Make fun of my job. Say what again? And then doesn't his uh, his son make a joke? I didn't write it down. But his yeah. son like he says piled higher and deeper. Yeah, yeah. She gets to school and she, uh, her pervy teacher is leering at her. According to Rob, the whole the whole beginning of this movie is a narration too. We should say like she has a lot of narration right off off the front. A lot of backstories tossed in there, um, including the fact that like. I wrote it down, but I, cause I was like, this seems very strange, but it, it made sense, you know, so the movie progressed. But she said, most kids my age go to middle school, but I skipped a grade. You shouldn't waste a lot of time growing up. <laughs> well, it's the themes of the movie. It's, it's the she learns, the that's her arc. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you can't skip middle school when you're in Middleburg in the middle of the country. I, I mean, come on. Come on, <laughs> Francis. If she's supposed to skip a grade, but like, why is her best friend five years younger than her? Because the actress playing Frances is 20 years old. Whoa, seriously? She was 20 in this? She was 20 years old when she made this movie. Huh. Okay. I'm going to slightly take back my comments about how- <laughs> her being a kid. <laughs> about how no one can be blamed for being a bad actor because they're all kids. Yeah. She should have She should have been better if she was yeah. 20. She's okay though. She's, she's, not, she's not really the issue. It wasn't until like HBO- that people started taking TV seriously. And I think I mentioned this before, but it was like, it was TV, ah, cool, one take, done. Like, no one really took TV seriously as a medium at the time. Yes, but you can... <laughs> you, Stephen Tobolowski was taking it seriously. Stephen Tobolowski is a tier of his own. He there's is. There's Stephen Tobolowski and there's SAG, the Academy, and everybody else beneath him. Yeah, yeah. He does not slum it, okay? <laughs> there are no small parts. There are no TV performances. There are just... Actors that aren't Stephen Tobolowski. 100%. While she's in biology class with her pervy teacher, she notices a strange man staring at her. And by strange man, I guess it's another teenager. And he's wearing sunglasses. And this is one of those reoccurring gags that actually kind of got a laugh out of me. Like a bit of a ding. Because the first time she sees this guy, he's sitting across the quad... And he's staring at her and she's weirded out that this strange person is staring at her from across the quad that she's never seen before. And he takes his sunglasses off and kind of gives her a look. 
And then when she's sitting in biology class, she sees him again out the window and he takes his, a different pair of sunglasses so off. So many sunglasses. And, gets, and gives her a look. <laughs> and then afterwards, it cuts to him on the roof and he's wearing a third pair of sunglasses. <laughs> and beside him is a dog wearing a doggy pair of sunglasses. <laughs> and then he takes those sunglasses off and he looks out. And at this point... A bunch of eggs are dropped on the bio teacher's convertible. Dozens and dozens of eggs, like 48 eggs. How many eggs does that family eat? I, I wrote that down too. That Because that is, they stole the eggs from her house and it was enough to destroy this classic car. Immediately after this car is eggs, the bio teacher sees it and then he immediately suspects Francis. And it's not clear to me why yeah. he immediately suspects Francis. Because he gives her his, like, Francis, do you know anything about this? And that gives her a very suspicious glare. And then everyone turns to look at her. And it's like, why would it be her? And then she narrates and says there was a bunch of other pranks that took place. There's graffiti all over town where people drew bees on the walls of stores, on storefronts. There are bees being spray painted on everyone's shoes. A little baby has a lowercase b. (laughs) I I laughed at that. And then she Uh. says there were honeybees placed in the principal's office. And then there was water put into the school bus that comes pouring out of the school bus when it's opened. Like it's the fucking elevator in The Shining. And all of these pranks are apparently the shock of the town. And everyone says... Like Francis did it, probably. Yeah, it makes no. Why would sense. you think she did any of this stuff? This this smart straight A student who skipped a grade, who's the teacher's pet, and is just like you did it because your middle initial starts with a B. Like <laughs> that's their theory. <laughs> that's because the logic. her middle name is Bacon, and the the graffiti is all of the letter B. Yeah. And because there's bees in the principal's office, they think that that must have been her. It's basically the logic that Batman <laughs> gives to explain. <laughs> it happened at C. C is for Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, it's the logic for how Batman deduces that all of the villains are working together in the Batman 1966 movie. Yes. Because someone has the same letter as something else. The teacher's logic in the scene is that he says, well, you were asking me questions about this. You have a list of everybody's names. Why were you so curious about this? Because she's doing the scientific method because she is Francis Bacon. She is trying to deduce who is committing these pranks. And so she's asking questions about them. If she was the one who was doing it, why would she be asking questions? About why would she bring it up to her teacher? The teacher's theory is basically, you know, <laughs> she, she who she smelt, who it, smelt it, it, dealt it. <laughs> we said it at the same time. <laughs> My favorite of all of the pranks in the whole movie is when the student jumps off the diving board and <laughs> Stephen Tobolowski somehow had enough jello in the family cupboards to oh. turn the pool red with jello. It's everyone's jello in town. It's not everyone's jello in town because Stephen Tobolowski says, Where's the jello I bought? I was going to make that wiggly fruit thing. <laughs> And it's so funny when Stephen Tobolowsky says it. But this gets to my point. So after all this stuff happens, her parents start suspecting that she's the one doing the pranks. And part of the reason is, is that her mother says, my eggs went missing. And then the teacher's car was egged. And Stephen Tobolowsky says, my gelatin went missing. And then the swimming pool at the school was turned into gelatin. So either they believe (laughs) that they had enough gelatin to turn the pool into gelatin, or... 
Why are they accusing her? I mean, I just liked that everybody got suited up, the lifeguards got ready, and nobody noticed the pool was red and full of jello until the girl jumped into the timing board and assumably suffocated in the middle of the pool. Because <laughs> she goes face first into the gelatin. Because it starts on like a close-up of her like getting ready to dive, and then she, she jumps, and then it cuts to a wide shot of her in gelatin. <laughs> like she didn't even look. No. Before she dove head first out of the diving board. That was a massive fucking dive because, like, she's in yeah. the middle of the pool. Oh, like, yeah. They try to, like, scoop her out with, like, a, a pool yeah. skimmer yeah. and, like, they can't they reach can't her. Reach. Like, she dived so far. So, yeah. If that's the case, then we are led to believe that Francis Bacon is the only person that isn't an idiot in this entire town. That's what it is, then. Everyone else is an idiot because they didn't notice a pool full of jello. Their theory about who's painting the bees is whose middle name starts with B. Keep in mind, I just want to keep in mind, this is a movie that was so scary it was banned, and so far what we're talking about is someone turned the pool into gelatin. So... (laughs) I'm a little confused. Yeah, and put everyone's dog on a roof. She goes home for supper, right? Going back to school. Um, Oh, her brother comes in, doesn't he? At this point, or is it later? I don't know what you're talking about. Her brother comes in and talks to her. So, okay, all right. So there is a scene at once the school is accusing her and they bring the mother in to talk about how they all think that it's Francis Bacon who did all of this stuff. They very awkwardly bring up what appears to be the underlying backstory of the movie. And you find out that this is a movie about child leukemia. Yes, that is bold choice, Disney Channel. Yeah. In your Halloween spooktacular film that you're actually going to halfway through turn it into the fault in our stars and do a story about a child dying of leukemia and the trauma it inflicts on his family. Yeah, that was a very bold choice, don't you think? It felt like it came out of nowhere. (laughs) It is a huge theme of the film. Weirdly enough, for a kid's movie, it's a horror movie that's actually about trauma. And, like, the best horror movies are often about something else. And my wife made this point. If she's like, if you were a little kid watching this in the 90s, like, this isn't a story you'd see, but if it was your story, you'd finally see yourself in something. That it's like, it's not just the main character that has it, it's the main character's brother. And, like, it's how Mm -hmm. she and the rest of the family dealt with it, which I actually thought was like kind of an interesting choice and i mean i didn't mind it i'm not saying i have minded no, it. Yeah. it's just such a bold strange choice to put into this boogeyman show <laughs> <laughs> this is also coming out of the 90s though and the 90s was like all about these like morality lessons and things like that and like you had a lot of sitcoms like leading up to this that had like similar themes and people going through things like this yeah i mean it certainly has the feeling of like the very special episode of degrassi where someone has leukemia but it's just like halfway through your fucking boogeyman movie. It's weird. <laughs> Sorry to be laughing about this, but that's fucking hilarious. It's funny. It's the leukemia is not funny, but just the premise of where this is turning up. After these pranks, she walks home. Uh, her best friend says that she likes her brother. Um, sorry, let's just clarify. So she's walking home and her best friend says that she has a crush. A crush. On her older brother, older brother. Albert. Albert Einstein. There's a scene back at the house, I don't know, it cuts to the next morning, and they're walking back to school, and uh, who, someone has pranked the lawn by saying, what's her name? Julia or something? Joe. Joe. It's J-O, I think. Joe it's like Joe Hearts and Bert. Bert in flowers, like planted flowers on the front lawn. <laughs> like did garden Like landscaping. landscaping, like professional landscaping. Yeah. And again, who knows where she got the flowers, but people see that and they're like, fuck, Francis did that. What did she do? Before this movie started, that made people immediately assume that all of these pranks are her. Like, she must have done something in the past, right? The only only person that that Joe told was 
Francis. And she says that. She's like, it couldn't have been anybody, but you're, you're the only one I told. Oh, come on. She basically only ever talks about him and just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. spends the entire film mooning over this kid. No. And she's not in another scene after this. No, but presumably she spends that entire time <laughs> mooning over him. Yeah, okay. One thing I did want to bring up about this scene is that fucking pig mailbox. I just wrote down, God damn, the 90s were weird. Like, <laughs> was that a thing? <laughs> I don't think that was a 90s thing. I think that's just... A Steven Tobolowsky thing? <laughs> so what you're referring to is the fact that there's this running motif through the film yeah. that anything with a face keeps turning to look at Francis, <laughs> which is quite creepy, to be perfectly honest. That's basically the only thing in the movie that is creepy up to this point. But, like, she walks past and, like, statues will turn to watch her as she goes and dolls in her room will turn towards her as she moves past. But she never notices. She never notices, but it's creepy for us because we notice. We up notice. the pig. They, their mailbox in the front yard is just shaped like a pig. It's a pig mailbox and you lift up the pig head to put mail in there and then the whole pig turns to look at her and it's fucking terrifying yeah like i i would be terrified if i was just standing in my lawn and a fucking pig mailbox went <laughs> i was terrified at the pig mailbox to full stop and then it started moving <laughs> well i like the pig head turning because everything else was turned to look and you're like oh that pig's gonna turn and look at her there's a scene that we didn't get to see where steven tobolowski brought that home yeah <laughs> he was like honey look what i got could you believe it was on sale but it, he's saying it straight face and you believe every word oh, of it. 100%. He loves it. Absolutely. He's 100% committed to that pig mailbox. Yeah. And, she, and the wife is just like, oh yeah, honey, go put it on the front lawn. He probably ordered it off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he, he was the first internet purchase with Steven It was the Obama. first thing ever sold on Amazon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The first thing ever sold the internet was that mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> that pig mailbox and it went to Steven Tobolowski in Middleburg, Utah. I 100% buy that in yeah. real life. <laughs> His wife comes down in the middle of the night. Honey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm buying a pig mailbox. <laughs> no, he's just selling it in the middle of the night like the guy with the duck eggs. And the dog duck is outside. He's, doing... he's just hammering it into the lawn. <laughs> so dumb. This movie's so dumb. What happens next, Bobby? They go to school. Yeah, they go to school. Um, and this is where... They bring Francis in for the meeting with the teacher and the counselor and everyone to ask. No, there's this whole scene in the cafeteria first, right? Yeah, there is the cafeteria, right. Just to lay this out for the audience, um, there's a sequence of events that are just escalating Francis's belief that something insane is happening yeah. to her. So she begins to talk to the man who's been following her around, and he explains that he is an imaginary friend. In the cafeteria, this is the scene. Yeah. Where In the starts. cafeteria. So, Bobby, what happens when this man explains to her that he's an ex he's an imaginary friend? So, he's dancing across the tables. He's changing outfits, I think, a few times as the like, scene goes very on. very quickly. Because they're basically imagining this guy as, like, a manic Robin Williams-esque genie, or, like, the Jim mask. Carrey as the mask. Yeah, totally. He's, he's a cartoon magic character who's constantly changing his voice and he's doing impressions and he's constantly doing new characters and costumes. None of it works. But yeah, she turns to everyone in the lunchroom and says, hey guys, does anyone know who this guy is? And Larry's gone and the entire school laughs at her. Further prove this idea that she's cracked. She interacts with him a few more times, but I think what's important to talk about now is that she believes that she's either going insane or that this young man is stalking and harassing her. She doesn't believe that he's imaginary or magical in any way. But when she is 
at home, her little brother Darwin comes in and asks her about the boogeyman. And she says, the boogeyman doesn't exist. You're too old to believe in things like that. You shouldn't believe in something like the boogeyman. And he says, well, the kids at the playground told me that I need to be scared of the boogeyman. I need to be careful. They heard it from someone named Larry. This being the same Larry. Have we even explained that this guy calls himself Larry Houdini? We introduced the cast at the beginning, but that's it. Yeah. This this movie's too complicated for me to explain. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of shit going on, apparently, in this film. <laughs> so much stuff. It's immediately before, in the cafeteria, she asks who he is, he introduces himself as Larry Houdini, and she's like, Larry Houdini. Like, she doesn't believe that's his real name. Yeah, because it's an absurd name, but obviously, his the kid, who he is the imaginary friend of, named him... Larry Houdini. Mm-hmm. And so because there's someone named Larry at the playground telling these kids about the boogeyman, she thinks maybe it's the same guy. So she goes down to Wait, the playground. Wait, time the fuck out. We're going to spoil a bunch. Oh my God. This is, movie's so hard to talk about. Where no, are we? No, I'm no. so lost. I just realized his kid's name is Larry Houdini. Darwin's imaginary friend. Is named Larry Houdini. Yes. Yeah. In a cowboy costume. Yeah. A cowboy costume. Okay. Larry Houdini. His imaginary friend. Instead of Harry Houdini. A magician. Yeah. Cowboy. Except for when he's dressed up like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Ironically, he's never dressed up like Harry Houdini. That's... Yeah, never Why the fuck did he name him Larry Houdini? (laughs) Sorry. I just... It popped in my brain right there. What I think is even crazier... Again, we're going completely non-linear here. I'm sorry. This episode is non-linear. Just follow us. Do your best, audience. Wait. No one has seen this movie. No one is going to watch this movie, Sean. Follow us. It's not going to matter what order we're talking about this film in. Well, they better have. Listen, if you haven't seen this movie, take your headphones off now. Do not listen to this next part, okay? Spoiler. Again. Spoiler alert. Stop listening. I'm not putting a timestamp on. You just have to take the headphones off, but then listen carefully for when I yell that you can put them back on. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So, at the end of the movie, we find out that Francis Bacon had her own imaginary friend, and her imaginary friend is a 17th century <laughs> lady of the court wearing trousers. Is very, very strange. Uh, but it's it's a literary reference, uh, Francis and Zoe. It's Franny and Zoe. Yeah. yeah, I know. What is it? Uh, we're going to get to it, but it's, it's a J.D. Salinger reference. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is its own weird fucking thing. I yeah. assumed it was like, because Larry Houdini is a is an action figure, I assumed it was a doll. Like, I assumed it was the outfit of one of her dolls. Oh, fuck. You're right. It probably is. You're right. Although the doll would have a dress. I don't know why Zoe would be in- I assume the doll would have a dress. Because Zoe's wearing trousers, but- you're probably right. That would sort of explain the wardrobe. Because when they show Zoe as her imaginary friend from as when she was a child, I was like, <laughs> why is this her imaginary friend? It's like a period authentic, like, French <laughs> royalty. <laughs> like, Did anyone else have distingu- trouble distinguishing between her brother's bedroom and Francis's bedroom? No, because one had, like, space cowboy stuff in it, and the other one had creepy dolls. I don't know. I just, I saw it, and I was just like, which room are they in again? It's probably the same bedroom, just dressed differently. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you can listen to the podcast again. We're done with the spoilers. Sorry. Put your headphones on. Thanks, everybody. Now that you're back. I had a a hard time distinguishing between the bedrooms. I thought they looked the exact same. You don't don't actually need to repeat yourself. There's nobody who actually didn't listen to that. This is a comic routine I'm doing, Rob. <laughs> I, I admire your Tobolowski level of dedication to that, Robbie. They go to the library. Let's just go to the library. Yeah, they go to the library. So Larry Houdini explains to her that there's a voice in his head that has told him that he needs to come to town to help her to protect them from the boogeyman. 
And he says, if you want proof, let's go to the library. So they go to the library. And in the library, he's looking for a book. And she says, what book are you looking for? And he says, I don't know. I was just told by the voice in my head that I'm looking for a book. And then the he- guy in my head. Yeah. The guy in my head. Yeah. I'm look, there's a guy in my head that says, I'm looking for a book. And then he comes across a book and he says, aha, this is it. And he pulls it out and he hands it to her and he says, see, it's Le Livre de Boogie. And she says, the boogie book. And he says, look at the author. And she flips open and it says, by Guy N. Head. And he says, see, Guy N. Head. <laughs> I, I laughed at that. I did I thought too. that was a funny joke. That, I did that, that was a ding. That was good. Um, <laughs> it's also, it's, I, I don't get the reference, but it's credited as, uh, Lady Esther Compton is credited with the translation of the book. I looked that up too. I thought that had to be a joke. I honestly, I spent like 20 minutes trying to figure out that joke. Cause I'm like, that has to be a joke. And I cannot figure out the joke. I thought maybe it's a pun where it's like ladies of Compton, like Compton ladies, but I don't know what that would be a reference to. You spent 20 minutes Googling that? I spent like 20 minutes oh looking God. this up. There's like a reality TV series called The Ladies of Compton, but that came out like three years ago, so I don't think that's what this is a reference to. There's like a painting in the 18th century of a woman called like Lady S. Compton, but... It's not a particularly famous painting, so I don't know why that would be what this is a reference to. I did my research, and I don't think any of this is correct. I don't know what that means, but it has to be a joke. It seems like it's a joke, and I don't get it. Everything in this movie is kind of a joke. All of the names and references are like puns and, and jokes, as we're going to talk about, particularly with the Franny and Zoe reference at the end. Yeah. They spent time on the little details, unfortunately. I don't know what Lady Esther Compton means. Listeners, if you know what this means, write in. Or better yet, give us a five-star review. And in the text of the review, explain what the joke Lady Esther Compton means. Because I really want to know. So in this book, there's an explanation of how to hunt and destroy boogeymen and the origins of boogeymen. So what happens next? They uh, they go back and uh, to their house. There's the final big prank, the biggest prank of all. And what happens is she wakes up in the middle of the night to noises on the roof. She goes outside. Larry is outside and he tells her that the boogeyman is on the roof. And she says, that's so unlikely. What would he be doing on the roof? And then a bunch of lights turn on. Christmas lights are decorating the entire roof. And Larry says he's going to go up there and see what the boogeyman is doing. He's going to put a stop to it. So Larry then confronts the boogeyman. This is where we finally see the boogeyman. Yeah. And it's basically a dark elf. It's pretty creepy for for a... I thought the, the actual makeup and prosthetics in this were decent. For a Disney Channel movie. It's just it's just a British man with long nails who speaks in rhyme. Speaking in rhyming couplets. At that point, all of the power in the city goes out except for their house. Their house is now the only house in the city with power. And that is the prank that rises above all pranks because the next morning, everyone in town is wondering why their house is the only house with power. And so there's actually like a news van that shows up and everyone's rushing up to get an answer from Stephen Tobolowsky. I miss the part where... The- the boogeyman said B is for blackout because I was just like, so wait, you're telling me that there's like a news helicopter coming up to this house just because they put up their Christmas decorations in September or something? Like, is that what's happening right now? It's Utah. <laughs> all right. They're all Mormons. They take their Christmas celebrations very seriously. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is front page news when someone, <laughs> you know. Puts up Christmas decorations too early. This is a Halloween movie, yeah. which means it's pre-Halloween. Yeah. This is the week before Halloween and they're putting Christmas decorations up. You don't do that in Mormon Utah. No, that's fair. Okay? For yeah. the parents, this pins the event on 
Francis as well because she's trying to deal with the ladder as Larry's falling off of it. She puts the ladder through her parents' window. They're assuming that Francis has somehow figured out to turn off the power to every single house and business in this town except theirs? Look, she skipped middle school. She's an honor roll student. She knows what she's okay. doing. Okay. When the news van shows up, they don't say what happened last night. They say you're the only house with power, which suggests that they still haven't figured out how to turn it back no, on. No, no, The plant is down. <laughs> Everything is down and it's not going back up. Yeah. They're like, they're showing up the door. Francis, tell us what you did, please. One of the funny things was uh, they got a phone call. But Stephen Tobosley says, if you want to know about my family, check our website. <laughs> yeah, they want to speak to him to get him to talk about this prank that his family has pulled. And he refers them to their website, Yeah, which they are presumably the only family in town with 100%. a website. The Tobolowski website. Yeah. <laughs> Just pictures of him with his mailbox. <laughs> Okay, so the family, other than Francis, leaves town. They skip town to escape the press. And they leave Francis alone, which doesn't seem like the best thing to do when you think that she's the one that's pranking the whole city. She then finds Larry in the garage, and he's making a tempterfuge. And I need to clarify what a tempterfuge is. He describes it as something that runs time forward. It speeds up time for what it's attached to. In the subtitles, it is referred to as a temporal fuge, which would make more sense if you're talking about the temporal aspect of speeding time up. But everyone in the movie says tempterfuge, which I don't know why they're pronouncing it that way. I was going to say, there's a nice little bit where it basically mimics like an old Frankenstein, old the universal horror movie. It bit. does, yeah, as he's, as he's building the tempterfuge. I like the premise. I hate the execution because it's real bad. But I was just like, this is kind of cool. Like, this is like a, they cut to black and white and he's like, it's alive type of thing. When he's explaining how the tempterfuge works... It cuts to like a parody of Frankenstein or Reanimator, where he says, those in the university yeah. laughed at me. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Um, and I think this is around the time, too, they start to introduce the plot development of they ask about their being if they're scared. She says she's not scared. And Larry starts to bring up the idea of like, well, were you scared? when your brother needed his transplant. The fucking bone marrow transplant. Yeah, they stopped the movie dead to, yeah. to go back like, to cancer. Hard. <laughs> like, enough with this Frankenstein parody. Let's talk about cancer Let's for five minutes. Let's talk about childhood cancer. He says, I, you know, I think you were a little relieved when it wasn't you that could help. And she says, no, of course I wanted to help. I would have done anything for my brother. I wasn't scared at all. I was just scared for him. Because it was her older brother, Albert Einstein, that ended up giving the bone marrow transplant to their younger brother. You're giving the hint that something possibly dishonest is going on. And I think this is around the point where you start to notice that Larry's fingernails are starting to grow a little long. And Larry somehow begins, Larry for some reason begins to lose his temper and say like, well, maybe this is all your fault. This could be all your fault. You're happening. You did this to me. Let's just get to the twist. She discovers that wait, 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 the origin. Wait. Can people listen to this one, Sean? If they haven't seen the, the show? Yes, because narratively we've got to the point. Okay, yeah. good. I think where we have yes. to talk about it. Perfect. So. Okay. <laughs> so dumb. Am I Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so of all the movies you're worried about us spoiling over like, what, like fucking 18 episodes, and you're like, Sean, Sean, no, don't, don't look under the bed. Keep this one pure. No one's seen it in 20 years. You need to keep it fresh. <laughs> all right. So this is another chance for anyone who hasn't yet watched Don't Look Under the Bed. This is your spoiler warning, okay? Your last we are one. giving spoilers in three, two... One. Okay, so Larry Houdini is actually 
turning into a boogeyman. Oh, no. And all boogeymen used to be imaginary friends. Holy shit, what a twist in the boogie lore. Yeah. This is crazy. I didn't see it coming. So Larry Houdini was actually Darwin's imaginary friend. Oh, my God. Holy shit, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Wait, you spoiled that too, Sean? (laughs) I don't care about Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) I only care about Don't Look Under the Bed. And so I think this is the point, too, where the parents come back. And they bring the counselor home for dinner. They're going to invite the counselor over. (laughs) It comes up, too. I think think we might have glossed over it a bit earlier, but the the counselors and everyone at the school are worried, like, maybe this has something to do with Francis' brother when he got sick. Past trauma. Did anyone else write down... The, the line that introduced this scene? Oh, it's my favorite line. It's another ding. Yeah? It's such a good ding. All right, it. So, the dinner scene, right? Yeah. yeah. So, it opens on the dinner scene, and the counselor has come to dinner, and the counselor looks to the mother and says, what a lovely little bust you have. <laughs> I wrote that too. She says, a nice small bust. <laughs> Pauses with a very confused look on her face, just long enough for us as the audience to know that, yes, that joke was intentional. Yeah. And then... She realizes that behind her is a generic bust a la Beethoven musician kind of a thing, a statue on their mantletop. And she goes, oh, yes, of course. It's a very blue joke, I guess, for a Disney Channel I don't remember what it was, but I wrote down that there's a swinging reference earlier in this show. I just said, a swinging reference, question mark? Well, geez, you need to tell us when that is, because I don't know what... I'll have to go rewatch it now. Yes, go rewatch. <laughs> it's right after bed. Guy and Head, and before, there's a lot about leukemia in this movie. So, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where it is. <laughs> Between the French puns and the references to leukemia, there's apparently a swinging reference in this Disney horror film. While dinner is being made, Larry Houdini is is going through the book written by Guy and Head, and he's making a batch of boogie goo. Because boogeymen cannot resist boogie goo. This is an important plot point that we'll come back to. Um, the thing I noticed in this scene is where on earth did Stephen Tobolowsky order that giant, giant pot? Oh, I know, right? It's the kind of pot that, like, witches in gingerbread houses cook children in. It's 100% <laughs> because it is big enough uh, to fit Larry Houdini. Although Stephen Tobolowski does a lot of cooking. He does. So He does all of the chores around the house, which people mention on multiple occasions. And then when he's inviting the uh, uh, guidance counselor over, his mother says, why? And he's like, well, because there, we have to talk about what's going on with Francis and I have that roast I've been meaning to cook. And then he storms out. <laughs> so like, obviously he takes his cooking seriously. I think it's a canning pot. A canning pot? Yeah. A giant canning pot. Okay. Yeah, I could see it. He seems, he seems like he, he seems, he seems like he'd be into canning. What are you talking about canning pot? Like to make jam? Yeah, like yeah. what are you talking no, about? Steven Tobolowski, he makes a shit ton of jams and pickles. This is a horror movie and they never showed us his like underground <laughs> his dugout in the basement. Canning depository. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably under his bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just jam. maybe he's got one of those like uh boogie world alternate dimensions under his bed where he just crawls down there and it's just a storage locker for all of his jam it's nothing scary (laughs) happens in there it's just it's just it doesn't adhere to the laws of physics it's just a room where he puts all his jam because he ran out of storage in the garage (laughs) it's jam under his bed (laughs) it's a canning pot oh fuck okay (laughs) 
Uh, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> uh, we're talking about the kitchen scene. We cut back to the kitchen, and Larry is in the pot eating the boogie goo, and Francis has said, you're turning into a boogeyman. Which he clearly is. Yes. Like, clearly. Because he has boogeyman eyes and boogeyman hands, and he freaks out and he runs upstairs. She realizes that he is turning into a boogeyman because imaginary friends turn into boogeymen when they're... Oh, this movie's so complicated. I feel like <laughs> such an idiot. <laughs> I have to like consult my notes where I'm like, oh, actually, the origin of Boogeyman is that they fucking love this. <laughs> I love Why this. Are we talking? This is like the most trouble we've had to describe a film. So he's turning into a Boogeyman because his the boy that he is an imaginary friend for, which is Darwin, stopped believing in him too early. And if you stop believing in an imaginary friend too early, they turn into a boogeyman. And that is happening to him. And while she realizes this, they discover that Darwin has actually now been kidnapped by her boogeyman. That boogeyman has taken Darwin into the boogie world, which is the world underneath the bed. So under her bed is a boogie world inhabited by the boogeyman, and under Stephen Tobolowski's bed <laughs> is jam. It's jam central. It's just row after <laughs> row of jam. Like that scene in The Matrix where it's guns, yeah. lots of guns, but it's jam. Look, <laughs> I think we're led to believe jam, that lots Stephen Tobolowski didn't ever stop believing in his imaginary friend. <laughs> it has access to this room. You know that jam is like labeled and cataloged and organized like by flavor. It's so like he goes down there and he hangs out with his imaginary friend and tells him about the pig mailbox yes, that he ordered. He's on. like, you'll never know. You'll never believe they created this thing on the internet. I bought a pig mailbox. <laughs> Is there? Is, don't look out of the bed too. Just a sequel starring <laughs> Stephen Tobolowski's Jam. <laughs> don't look out of the bed. There's all my jam. That's the quote. The poster is just Stephen Tobolowski yelling at somebody. Don't look out of my bed. What the fuck are we talking? <laughs> fuck, we know. Oh my god, this stupid fucking movie. Uh, Damn, so let's finish. D- Darwin's been kidnapped. He's gone to Boogie World. They get the Tempterfuge. Larry says, we got to deal with this. We got to go get him right now. It's too late. So they go into the Boogie World under her bed. And Boogie World is just, honey, I shrunk the kids. Yeah. It's everything she has ever lost under her bed. So when they go under the bed, they crawl under there. And then folding of dimensional space for Boogie World, the Boogie dimension, uh, makes them extremely small. So everything that she lost under the bed is now extremely large, including Darwin's toy car, which is now a large car that they can drive around, which they get in and then drive around Boogie World in this large car. Um, it's uh, it's not a long sequence, but I think it's a pretty good sequence, you know? Like, as far as TV movie versions of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids go, yeah, it's not bad. They put a yeah. lot of money into that. Uh, so, they come to the boogeyman who has Darwin in a sack. I think it's supposed to be a sock. All right, he's got Darwin in a sock sack. Boogeyman is played by Steve Valentine, who most people probably know from his recurring role he had on the TV show Crossing Jordan. Um, I and many of the people I know know him as Alistair, the Grey Warden King from the game series Dragon Age. Finally, Francis realizes the truth. And the truth is, is that this boogeyman is calling her Franny. And only one person ever called her Franny, her own imaginary friend, Zoe. And so she goes up to the boogeyman and she says, Zoe, I know it's you and I'm sorry I stopped believing in you. And the boogeyman then transforms back into a 17th century French <laughs> lady of the court. <laughs> All right. So now we got to talk about the fact that Francis has an imaginary friend named Zoe who always called her Franny. So this 
has to be a reference to Franny and Zoe, a J.D. Salinger novel about drunk college wastrel children. Not something that any Disney Channel viewers are probably going to know about, but I think is very clearly a reference because the Franny and Zoe stories were used as an inspiration for the children in the Royal Tenenbaums as like the concepts of child prodigies who become kind of lost later in life. This family is full of children who are named after giants of science, right? And so this is obviously very intentional, but it's just such a weirdly specific reference. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about that, Bobby? When when I realized that, I was like, what? <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird one. It, it is the one reference that I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that, that's a reference. You can make in a movie. Not to be too negative to the author, because I do think that the writing in this, just like the directing and a lot of the, the work put into it, is is better than it needed to be. And it's better than other Disney Channel stuff that I've seen. So this is not to disparage the writer at all. But it does really feel like somebody being, like, desperate to put something in there that, like, is like, it might be a Disney Channel movie, but I'm fucking putting a J.D. Salinger reference in there. I'm putting my degree to use, you know? Maybe the J.D. Salinger reference was just like, ban this movie. This kids cannot watch this movie ever again. <laughs> and then there's this, like, oddly progressive, I don't know if you want to call yeah, it, like, I know, right? of the movie where Larry's like, wait, Zoe, you were the boogeyman? And Zoe looks at him very plainly and says, boogie person. All right, so is there anything else to talk about? The ending is just more leukemia stuff. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It ends on kind of like a nicer note of the brother and the, of like, you know, the sister realizes that like she needs to let loose, that it's okay to still be young. She doesn't have to grow up so, so fast. So I got to say then. something here, guys. No, one last thing. I uh, I have been currently watching the film on my phone while talking to you, trying to find the swingers reference, and I can't seem to have found it. My apologies. I think you imagined it. I imagined it. All right, Rob, you picked it. You got to tell us. What's your ranking? Well, okay. We've uh, now I've got 20 movies on my list and it's in the bottom half. Uh, but it is number 13, wow. behind Blank Check, but above Babes in Toyland. This is below Blank Check for you. I, I keep saying it's road, rose-colored glasses, man. I have an affinity yeah, for that yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 you said that, as I a still kid. don't. It's real terrible, but when I think back of it, I forget how bad it is. I would put it in between the Freaky Fridays. So I liked Freaky Friday 2003 more than this. I liked this better than 1976 Freaky Friday. Oh, that's a coincidence, because I was thinking about this, and I am also going to put this above 1976 Freaky Friday. But for me, that means it's right below Million Dollar Duck. <laughs> so I put Million Dollar Duck above this. But this is definitely the best of the Disney Channel films that we've watched. Far and away. And, and as you said, it's like there was there was some thought put into this. Like, granted, like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, 90s t- made-for-TV movie acting in it, but... They put some effort into the script. They're trying to do something. And like I said, it's like, I mean, I know the leukemia thing is different, but like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, again, this, like most horror movies, this children's horror movie is actually about something else and someone like dealing with trauma. So I, as far as kids' movies go, this is fine. And it has Stephen Tobolowski in it. He even goes beyond thought, heart, and effort. And as you <laughs> said, like SAG overlooked him in this movie. He should have a whole <laughs> shelf of awards in his house devoted to this film. To this film? Yeah. This film specifically. What is it? The daytime Emmy should have given him something? Well, he has other shelves for other films, but yeah. I think this film should have one of the shelves in his house. Like, in, in reality, under Steven Tobolowski's bed is a portal to just, like, shelves upon shelves of nominations and awards and accolades. Is it next to the jam shelf? Yeah. So, in 1999, the year that this movie was released on the Disney Channel, Disney released the following films. My Favorite Martian, the Jeff Daniels, Christopher Lloyd movie. Oh, jeez. 
That came out the same year? The Other Sister, which was a uh, touchstone Gary Marshall film starring Juliette Lewis and Giovanni Ribisi. Doug's first movie, the most mm. ambitious, yes. confident, and in hindsight, hysterically sad title you can give to a movie that does not have a second movie. Ten Things I Hate About You, Heath Ledger's Big Break. I like that movie. Oh, the movie where the Batman and the Joker went to high school together. Robin and the Joker went to high school together. Yeah, that's yeah. right, because... Uh... Got GGL. Jogo. Yeah. <laughs> Jogo. <laughs> Instinct, the Anthony Hopkins film. Instinct. Yeah, it's like one of those Anthony Hopkins crime thriller things. I don't think I've seen it, but I recognize the poster. Okay. Summer of Sam, the Spike Lee film. Matthew Broderick's Inspector Gadget. Oh, wow. Ooh, I was thinking about that movie, too, and eventually we're going to have to rewatch it. Please don't make me watch it anytime soon. No, 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 Maybe no. someday, but... No, no, no. I... Is it like the eventually. Frank Stewart sequel better? <sighs> Probably. <laughs> I actually would rather watch that than rewatch <laughs> the first one, which I seen because I saw it as a kid because I went to it. I think I saw it in theaters. It was terrible. Oh, I saw it in theaters for sure. I owned it. Someone bought it for me because I loved Inspector Gadget so much as a kid. And like, even as a small child, I was like, no, this is not what Inspector Gadget is. I was like, a feature film, Inspector Gadget, that's going to be great. No, it's no. terrible. Nope. Runaway Bride, another Gary Marshall film. Dude released two movies through Touchstone in like four months. Jesus. Is that the Richard Gere or Julia Roberts? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. It is a, a reunion yeah. from Pretty Woman, which was another Gary Marshall. And, but it, it, didn't, it didn't like do nearly as well as that, did it? I think it did pretty well. The really? reviews were much more mixed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not Pretty I actually Woman. saw that movie. <laughs> I, and in fact, I saw it in theaters. For some reason, I think, I don't know, somehow I found myself in a theater. I was like, how am I here? Why am I here? Why am I at Runaway Bride? And I'm like a 12-year-old. This movie was not aimed at me. I don't know why I'm sitting in this theater. Sixth Sense. Wow. 13th Warrior. That's the Antonio Banderas, Michael Crichton adaptation, which apparently is totally incoherent and makes absolutely no sense. Have you sense, never seen it, Sean? Adaptation. No, I've never Bobby, seen it. Bobby, have you seen it? Um, I have seen part of it, but the only reason I've seen part of it is because one of the Nightmare on Elm Street VHSs I had when they re-released them as special editions, instead of having the special edition making of the movie, it's just 10 minutes of the 13th Warrior. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like my accident? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> It's just like... And I kept it for that reason. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you've seen 10 minutes of it. Yeah, out of context. I have no idea where in the film it lies, what's going on. <laughs> I did actually see 13th Warrior in theaters uh, with my dad. It's like rated hard R. It's very brutal. Uh, and I remember liking it. And I think I've seen it probably like five times in my life. And I, I That actually, means nothing coming from you. Part, no, no, totally fair. I'm not, I'm not going to suggest it. That's um, so many at times. At all. But I, I kind of want to rewatch it. I was actually thinking about it uh, because it's the spookiest month of the year. And I was like, I remember being a little creeped out by that film. Well, October will come and in another 12 months from now. <laughs> Continuing, I'm going to finish this list. It's a long list because it was a big year. Breakfast of Champions, the Bruce Willis adaptation of the book, which is apparently so bad that you cannot buy it or access it anywhere. Really? I remember seeing a trailer for that when it was released, yep. um, but I was Googling it and apparently you cannot digitally download it anywhere. It is not on Disney+. Plus. You cannot get a DVD or Blu-ray. Perhaps there is an out-of-print DVD that you can find on a used store, but it's certainly not in print now. Uh, apparently it was not good, and I think the producers want to pretend like it never happened. Fair. The Lawrence Kasdan film Mudford. Is that Jason Lee? I think so, yeah. 
Right, yeah, yeah. Russell Crowe's hockey movie, Mystery Alaska. <laughs> the David Lynch Disney film, The Straight Story, which from what I have heard is amazing and I haven't seen it. And for some reason, it is not on Disney Plus in Canada. It is on Disney Plus in the United States. What's it called? Sorry, The Straight Story? It's called The Straight Story. I've never heard of it. What is it? It is a true story adaptation of a man who drives his lawnmower across the country to visit his son. What the fuck? Bringing Out the Dead, Martin Scorsese's Nicolas Cage driving around in an ambulance movie. The Insider, Michael Mann's Russell Crowe movie. These are all great. Like, Disney had a great yeah, man. Fucking The Insider, Bringing Out the De hmm. Dead. These are great movies. End of Days, Arnold Schwarzenegger's End of the World movie. Oh, I saw that in theaters. Uh, he, he, uh, the movie's insane. He fights the devil. Gabriel Brin. He fights the devil and wins. Toy Story 2, uh, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Not quite that good, but it was successful enough to get a sequel. Cradle Will Rock, the Tim Robbins movie about Orson Welles making a pro-union musical in 1937. True story. Good movie. And then Bicentennial Man, the Chris Columbus Robin Williams robot movie. That movie's fucking terrible. It is. That was I bad. saw that in theaters I too saw with that my family. And like my whole family so regretted it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a Christmas movie too. That's why it's at the end of my list. It came out of Christmas. I think I convinced my father or my mother to take me to see it whoever it was i distinctly remember walking out of the movie and feeling deep shame <laughs> and them just just shaking their head and glaring at me why did you do this to me i think i saw that movie like five or six times as well uh for whatever see reason. i told you this means, no, this means no, no. nothing i didn't from like you. it but i just kept like friends wanted to I, watch it or i know something. you didn't like it but you've seen every movie like five or six times yeah i mean that's fair <laughs> most of these on the list except like the really good ones like the insider i have never seen but yeah i've watched the 13th warrior you know you haven't seen the insider the insider's really good i would highly recommend that it's on disney plus that brings us to the end of our episode and Coming up next week, we have a very, very special episode. What are we talking about next week, Bobby? Is it uh, Marco Zorro? It is! It's the sign of Zorro! I'm so yeah. excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, Bobby, in your scariest boogie voice, tell us your catchphrase and tell us to tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes. No fried food. <laughs> How do you keep your health? <laughs> tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> and cut. And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks.